Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Well, hi, everyone. On this episode of Looking Forward, we're going to speak about electric vehicles today, and you'll excuse the pun, down the road. Sorry about that. Our guest is an expert on electric vehicles. In fact, he's been tracking their development and rollout for quite some time, which makes him all the more valuable to us on the program. And it's my pleasure to welcome today, Lauren McDonald. Lauren, thanks for joining us. We appreciate your being here. Can you tell our audience just a little bit about yourself and when and why you became interested in electric vehicles? Yes, absolutely. And, and Jeff, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to share a, a lot of uh, insights about what's happening in the electrical uh, vehicle space. So, yeah, so I was born and raised in Oakland, California. And so, you know, next to Berkeley, across from San Francisco, and as, as uh, people throughout the world kind of know, we have sort of uh, uh, caring about the environment in our DNA, if you live in the Bay Area, if you will, right? A lot of the great trends around food and different things started here. And of course, today, you know, Tesla's based here and stuff like that. But, you know, growing up, I was one of those kids that always cared about the outdoors, about the planet. And I was one of those ones that would go out with a bag and pick up aluminum cans, you know, off the side of the road wow. and then take them to the recycling center and turn them in and then go buy, you know, Black Sabbath records, whatever it was, you know. But so I always cared, cared about the planet, especially recycling and things like that. But then, you know, in, in the 80s, 80s, um, you started to hear about this future of electric vehicles. And, you know, obviously there wasn't much happening yet, but you started to hear that that was sort of the future. So that, that fascinated me. There was actually a, a company in Sebastopol, California, Northern California, called U.S. Electric Car that was one of the, the first. I actually applied for a public relations job with them. I still have the postcard that shows we don't have a position at this time. This was like 90, 90, 1995, I think it was. Wow. And then they went, they went bankrupt like the next year. So it's probably a good thing I didn't get a good job. Thing. Good but thing. but that, that, you know, I just started sort of following it and stuff. And of course, and then shortly after that, you know, GM came out with EV1 in about 1996. And I actually, I still have the brochures and everything for the EV1. I almost leased one, but uh, it was $399 a month for a lease. And that wow. was at the, at the time, right? That was just like d about double what I wanted to spend. So I never, never pulled the trigger. And, you know, and frankly, I sort of, kind of, you know, not much happened, right, after they crushed the EV1 and stuff like that for a long time, until 2010, when Chevrolet, and, you know, GM came out with the Volt, the plug-in hybrid, uh, and Nissan came out with the, the Leaf. And so that's when things, you know, started, I started to get interested again. And then about a year later, uh, you know, Tesla started to make a lot of noise. They had the Roadster, obviously, first. And then in 2012, came out with the Tesla. And that's really when I just started to follow things sort of much, much more closely. And then... I think it was about 2015 or something. I started a blog, and and you might get this, uh, judging by uh, looking at you, you might be old enough to get this reference. Uh, Lauren Green. Do you remember the actor? Oh my Lauren Bonanza. Green? 
Bonanza, yes, yes. So I started a blog using <laughs> called Lauren Green. I love right it. Now. I love uh, it. And at any rate, I, long story short, I wrote about everything under the sun about sustainability and everything from solar to, and we were in droughts in California at the time. So I wrote about, you know, saving water and all those NEVs. And I realized that I was trying to cover everything that if, you know, I'm getting on in my years, then like a lot of us, we want to leave a legacy. And so I said, you know what, I need to pick one area that I can actually maybe make an impact on. Uh, and um, EVs was what sort of rose to the top fundamentally for one main reason is because it's a big massive puzzle right of what is it going to take to actually get people to buy electric vehicles and, and we'll, we'll dive into that you know in, yes. in a few minutes but it was really sort of trying to solve and understand that and bring sort of clarity to it is is what really then you know, coalesced with me and, and um, in late 2016, I launched the EV adoption uh, blog and the rest is, is history, so to speak, short history. Well, I want to say that as somebody who has a tendency to diffuse himself, we'll say, into a number of different areas, I really appreciate that decision that you made to zoom in on this yep. one area because it is so hard sometimes for me to focus like that because you have a lot of interests and you have to say, like you said, I like the way you talked about the put legacy. Put those boundaries, yeah. Put those, and the legacy I thought was great. Okay, now you alluded to it. You have a website called evadoption.com. Yep. And you yep. also write, at least I know about one blog you write for, which is yep. a Clean Technica. Can you briefly tell everybody uh, when you began doing those two things? You did sort of mention the yep. website. And what information can somebody find there? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, the evadoption.com site, as, I, as sort of referenced, is, is fundamentally the, the focus of it is, is understanding what are going to be those sort of drivers and things that in the hurdles to EV adoption. And so one of the things, you know, we were talking a bit be before the, the blog about sort of a lot of the different sites that are out there in the space that cover EVs and sort of, I did sort of a market assessment and realized, you know, most all the sites were just covering, you know, press releases and news and, and just sort of, you know, daily news stuff. And what I wanted to do is be different and focus in on analytics, look at data, right? And so I do a lot of data. I, I create my own data or I take other people's data and sort of mash it up multiple different kinds of data and create sort of new data and charts. So I, what, again, what I'm trying to do is, is understand and share with, with the marketplace of, you know, what is it that's going to, you know, either speed up or slow down uh, adoption of EVs. And so that's really sort of the content, everything from a lot of data and charts, you know, upcoming EVs and current ones and their range and things like that, basic stuff, but also a lot of state level data. So I do a lot of things that sort of look at, you know, why is Wyoming like buying no EVs, you know, per capita and California buys a ton of them, right? So I, I really sort of drive into those. So if you're familiar with the concept of behavioral economics, that's fundamentally what I'm trying to do with, with the site from the data and the content is, is share what is it those things that are going to affect consumer behavior. So that, that's the, the EV adoption site. Again, data and resources and then the blog. Um, and then Clean Technica, I started. And so that was, again, it was really, I got that launched in early of 2017. And shortly thereafter, started contributing to Clean Technica. Clean Technica is... Um, 
bills themselves as uh, I think the world's largest clean tech site. So they cover, you know, everything from, from solar to, uh, you know, recycling and water and wind power and the grid and, and to electric vehicles. And so uh, I, I contribute, uh, you know, typically it ranges, but, you know, maybe a couple times to, to them uh, over the last several years. And for them, I try to focus on sort of big stuff because they have obviously have a lot more readers than I do. Yeah. So um, I just did a big piece on, um, you know, and I know we're going to get into this, uh, COVID-19 and with a lot of people, uh, staying at home telecommuting, what impact is that going to have on exactly. uh, EV charging, right? So, uh, and, and written a lot about General Motors and just deep dives. So a lot of sort of big, big, big picture stuff with them. That's fascinating. I will say that one of the things that I really find interesting in what you said, Lauren, was that you're actually going down to the micro level in a sense, to see the states and what's happening within right. the states, which I think is fasc fascinating. The other thing that's, is, that's where the learning is, really, is understanding those differences. I think that's fascinating. And the other thing about behavioral economics, I'm more used to that being associated with healthcare. My daughter right. um, had a job where they focused on behavioral economics with regard to healthcare. This is an interesting application of that. I yeah, it that. really is. It's fascinating. Yep. Now let's talk about the, the big question, or one of the big questions, which is how great is the demand that you're seeing from all this analysis and data crunching that you're doing, Lauren? Yep. How great is the demand for electric vehicles? How has that changed, say, over the past 10 years or so, and in what ways? Now, I realize you could talk for four hours on that. I probably could, yes, but we'll try, we'll try not to. Yeah. We'll do that in another episode, but yeah, this is yeah. part one. So, so, and, and so the, 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 the answer to the first part of your question about how big is demand is, is one of those questions where it really depends upon where you are in the world, right? Yeah. So one of the things that, that, that some of your listeners may have heard and read about is like Norway. Norway is an example is they have now surpassed 60% of every new vehicle purchased is an electric vehicle. Now that can be either what we call a, a battery electric vehicle, BEV for short. We love acronyms, right? Uh, which is a which is a fully electric vehicle, and then there's what's what we call a plug-in hybrid, PHEV, which is um, like the Chevrolet Volt. If people are familiar with that, that it still has a gas engine, but it it can it can go on just pure electric power until that battery runs out and then it switches over to the gas. Is, is that kind of, if I can interrupt you for a second, yeah. is that kind of like a Prius, the second one? Yes and no. Uh, so a Prius, a regular Prius, you don't plug in, right? So it's got a small battery and uh, it can run, you know, on, you know, certain certain number of miles off that, then it that switches over. But the, with a plug-in hybrid, you're, you're, charging the the battery by plugging it in just like like a regular one and they're they're different types on actually how they work toyota actually has a, what's called a prius prime uh which is a plug-in hybrid version of the prius and the really exciting thing is is that they're coming out with the toyota rav4 which is the number four selling vehicle in the u.s last year as a plug-in hybrid, and I have high. I think it's going to be a massive seller. But anyway, we we kind of got off yeah, off, okay. off topic yeah. there. But so the the answer to your question is, you know, 
it really depends on where you are in the world. As I mentioned, Norway is like 60% uh, of new vehicles being purchased EVs. Uh, many countries in Europe now are five to 15%. The Nordics and stuff like that are, are, are higher. Um, China's about 5%. So five out of every 100 new vehicles purchased are electric. Uh, the U.S., which is where I tend to focus because it's, it's you know, it's, it's a world in of itself um, with, with the 50 states, uh, is just this massive, like, disparity of and, and range. California is at about 8%, so about, you know, approaching one out of 10 vehicles uh, in, in California purchased now are, are electric and, you know, high percentage of those 50% or so are Tesla. Uh, and in fact, California accounts for roughly 50% of every electric vehicle sold in, in the U.S. today. Wow. Um, and then so you, then you go down to the other end and you have the sort of the bottom dwellers, as, as I refer to. <laughs> you have states like West Virginia and Wyoming and North Dakota and stuff that literally they're like at 0.3%. Right. So California, you know, is, is it's like, you know, a hundred times uh, the, the number of EVs are, are purchased. Um, so, you know, it, it really depends, again, on, on where you are and what drives that is 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 more supply. Right. So your question is about demand, but but fundamentally it's regulations and demand. So what's driving the sales in Europe is there are penalties for the automakers if they don't have a certain sort of fleet level, um, uh, you know, state of sort of number of uh, like emissions or across sort of the, their, their fleets and stuff. So they basically, they will be fined, you know, millions and millions of, of euros if they don't meet these regulations. So it requires that they either um, make and sell more either BEVs or plug-in hybrids to use the, the PEVs, PHEVs to use those acronyms. U.S., we don't have that, right? We, we have it in some states, like California has the ZEV, the zero emission vehicle sort of mandates, and there's several other states that have those mandates as well. But that's why California uh, has such high sales versus the rest of the U.S., and the same with sort of Europe, is be because it's right now it's basically regulatory driven. So the automakers basically... Many of them say nobody wants to buy EVs. They're wrong. We do. They're just too expensive and don't have enough range and various things. But if they did, we would. But so they're basically only making enough to supply sort of these regulatory requirements, right, um, until demand sort of catches up, right? Does that make sense? And sort of, you know, so it's very much sort of supply driven. So there's a lot of EVs in the U.S., that like the automate like Honda is an example, uh, basically makes only one of their electric vehicles in California. That's it. You cannot buy it in any other state. Right? That was Honda, right? Honda. Right, right, right. And several, I've done analysis of several of the, there's only like a couple of EVs that are available in every state. Pretty much everyone else, it's, it, it drops down uh, in some cases to just, just a couple. And in many cases, they only make them available in those, what's called those ZEV states, those states that actually have sort of these uh, emission mandates and things like that. So it's right now, it's, again, we could talk about this for, for hours, but it, but it's, it's more supply driven than it is demand driven. Well, let me just jump in here. Yeah. 
you're talking about today and that's great but yep. let's just go back a few years and you know you were really getting interested in the 90s right right and then in, i think it was 2010 lauren you said all of a sudden you got back so what's yep. happened in the last 10 years is, is it really not a, not enough <laughs> not, not, not enough not yeah enough. so so you know <laughs> what's happened obviously is, is is several things one is you know this this is ev era two right like there there was the, this is the real one right it's and so again it sort of started with the chevrolet volt and and nissan leaf as i as i mentioned and then you know tesla came out with the model s and that's what really drove a, a lot of awareness in in sort of the the consumer uh, mind share obviously elon musk and tesla get a lot of press you know, he has millions of followers on the Twitter, on the uh, Twitter to, to Twitter. make a joke, to make a joke there. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, you know, there's, there's, there's just this amazing, you know, social media memes and buzz and awareness around Tesla. I'm on my second Tesla uh, my, myself, but, um, wow. you know, one of the, the, the things that, that really happened, obviously, was the Tesla Model S was the first aspirational EV. And that was really the game changer. That was sort of really the big thing that happened that until then, you know, most of the EVs didn't, didn't have long range. They, you know, they were kind of weird looking. They were not normal looking, you know, they, they were sort of just the next version of the Prius, right? So it's, you know, the people that were interested in them are those Berkeley living greenies, right? And those, those sort of very, very early adopters. Yeah. What, and I, and I wrote an article about this and, you know, and Freakonomics has done some, some things on this, um, a concept called conspicuous conservation and it's a concept that that i absolutely love that tesla and elon musk absolutely got and since this idea of you know what tesla has is, is the best of both worlds it's viewed as the, a green vehicle right but it's also beautiful and fast and expensive or at least you know it used to be now the model 3 is obviously much more affordable but you know you can drive around your neighborhood and and it basically shows people that you know you've probably done a high tech ipo or something like that like you've done well but you also care about the planet right, <laughs> right? so it's this idea of conspicuous conservation of you know you can you can you can be green but also, you know, drive a nice fast car. And that was kind of a game changer that forced, especially a lot of the German automakers, so Audi, BMW, Mercedes, um, and the you know, parent Volkswagen of, of, of Audi and, and Porsche and stuff like that to go, oh my God, Tesla started to eat into some of their, their market share because it was that sort of same buyer group that wanted a performance car and, and and to be able to you know make that that green signaling um, aspect to their neighbors, but also go, I've made it, You're right? And yeah. so that was that was really the thing. EVs sort of started their image started to flip from just sort of the thing that the hippies in Berkeley drive to actually you know full engineers and semi-normal people actually dri drive EVs because they're actually really, really great cars. So that was sort of kind of the, the big thing, the sort of the Tesla halo of changing the image of, of what an EV was. And then it sort of started to force a lot of the auto other automakers to sort of come along. And then along that ride, obviously range has gone up dramatically. I've done some charts around this that show we're headed towards 
in the next two years will will be close to 300 miles of average range across sort of the portfolio. Part of the way we'll get there is you know Tesla has some that are at 400 now and stuff like that. But you know that's sort of the biggest thing is we've gone from like two EVs to we will have 70 available in the U.S. Uh, in the next that's two years. Fast. That's fast. So that availability is huge. That longer range. That's interesting. The, the notion, it's almost like driving a Corvette around, but it was a green car, right? A right. Yeah. Whoa, cool yeah. car, you know, and, and it's good for the environment. Yeah. I want to bring you back to something else you talked about, COVID-19. Yep. Can you briefly give us an idea about how the, the pandemic has affected the development, manufacturing, and purchasing of these electric vehicles that you've been talking to us about? Yeah, yeah. So really, it's it, it's a couple of things. One is is that as as your listeners, you know, probably know, the fundamental key to electric vehicles is the battery, the battery pack, right? Which which can be very big, and the better bigger the battery, the uh, more range that that you can go. Like like Tesla now has one that just reached over four hundred miles, the Model S. Um, most of the batteries, except for Tesla and their, their Nevada um, Gigafactory, uh, are made in China, right? And so, and COVID kind of started over there, right? And so, the first thing that happened was just, we're already short of batteries. So, one of the single biggest problems to that sort of supply issue I mentioned is just that, that there aren't enough battery packs to go around. Because it's EVs are new, the all of the major auto companies haven't necessarily built these big factories. So they're, they're working with Samsung, with a, with a company called Catal, C-A-T-L, out of China as their supplier. So those companies have to build up their plants. So they were all shut down or, you know, supply chains were, were, were basically shut down or hindered. That has basically delayed the ability to, for some of these companies to launch new, new vehicles because they couldn't get the, the batteries or they just couldn't ship them. And the second Part, obviously is most of the factories were shut down so you know that affected not just EVs but but all vehicles but it particularly hurt EVs because of the combination of sort of the battery supply chain slowdown and not being able to build them so you know we're the way it's affected us is is you know three or four month delay on getting a lot of these EVs out to sort of the the, the dealers that were already in short supply um, and, and one of the simple factors was just sort of the purchase process, right? What people were still buying cars, right? That like the dealers were impacted. How do you do test drives and things like that? And the single best way to sell an electric vehicle is a test drive. If you've ever driven one, it will change your, your life, right? You get wow. in there, you press the accelerator and boom, right? And so not having that ability also sort of, you know, hurts electric vehicles and stuff. So that was sort of that. The, the, the big thing though is, and I, and I wrote an entire uh, article around this is sort of how COVID will actually uh, affect sort of consumers is, is one is, is that, you know, a, a lot of people have lost their jobs, been laid off or whatever. So from an economic perspective, a lot of people, if they're looking at, you know, buying a new car and an EV, they might decide to hold on to their existing gas car for a few extra years. They're not sure I might lose my job. I did lose my job, whatever it is. Or, you know, EVs tend to still be anywhere from five to $20,000 
higher in cost sort of when you compare kind of like kind electric vehicles. So when people are looking at that, obviously you can reduce that cost through some of the, the incentives, the rebates and the tax credits and stuff. But for people that are concerned about the economy, a lot of people are probably going to forgo you know, buying that new EV or go with a cheaper comparable one or just holding on to their car. What we don't know is, is, is Jeff, is that, you know, is that going to be 10%, 20%, whatever, but we know it is going to be a factor. So that, that's the negative part. The positive part is that, you know, a lot of people sat at home and what did they do? They made sourdough bread for the first time, right? They reached out to their long lost cousins. Like, there, yeah. there was something that happened to a lot of people in the, in the world being being stuck at home that they s sat back and and rethought priorities. How am I spending you know my time, my job, everything like that? And one of the things that was very apparent to people is lack of air pollution, right? With all these cars taken off the road, all of a sudden you know places like in 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 India and China and Los Angeles had the cleanest skies they've ever had and that got a lot of press and attention so the the, the net of that and then I'll I'll close out on this one is is that positive is is that a lot of people might rethink their priorities and realize you know I need to do something good for the planet and people are thinking big they're thinking how do I help the world and save the planet so that might get more people to lean um, uh, in sort of the electric vehicle side. And then the other, actually, I lied on one more quick point sure. is, is that the telecommuting, and I wrote a, a, a really big, one of my favorite articles that I've written around the potential impact of, of telecommuting, right? There's a lot of companies that have said, you don't have to go back to the office, right? And so what if 20%, let's say, of sort of high-tech, white-collar office workers do not go back to the office, right? That's, let's say, one in five in the U.S. You know, we, we don't know how big it's going to be, but it could be as high as that. Uh, there's been predictions of, of closer to 25%. If your car sits in the garage all day long, like mine has been, my Tesla, it's like, may you realize, actually, I don't need 400 miles of range. I'm not commuting every day. Maybe I could get by with 200, 150. So it might open up people buying less costly EVs that they can use just to drive around town and stuff like that and then figure out when we're going on those thousand mile road trips you know a, another way to sort of do that but so it could open up some interesting opportunities there. I find what you said very interesting in that you kind of had a, a dichotomy in yeah. perspective. On the one hand there's it's it's been not so good but on the other hand, it, it has the potential of planting seeds that could be very good. And that's a perfect segue, Lauren, to ask yep. you if we can have you put on your futuristic cap. And I know you have that sort of leaning anyway. Let's try to imagine a world <laughs> which is past the coronavirus. We don't know yep. when, but let's hope and anticipate that we're going to get past this. And we're thinking in terms of electric vehicles. What do you see happening over the next two, five plus years in terms of the production, the supply yeah. issues you talked about, the demand? What do you think might happen if you, again, all we can ask you to do is speculate. Yep, yep, yep. So, you know, the, the very first blog I wrote uh, on EV adoption was, was called Karma. I came up with a, 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 a framework of adoption, and Karma stands for charging, 
basically, you know, uh, having charging everywhere uh, and fast, affordable, so meaning EVs that cost about, uh, you know, the same as sort of regular cars, enough range like that that 300 400 mile of range model availability right not we can't just have four evs on the market we have to have a hundred 150 right and in all shapes and sizes pickups we have like seven electric pickups coming to the market wow. uh, in the next couple of years and awareness people need to understand what winners so the, the point of that that sort of acronym and story and answer to your question is is those are sort of the categories of what's going to happen and what needs to happen to drive um, uh, uh, greater adoption and the first piece is is battery so one of the things that's on the horizon in probably the next seven years is something called solid state batteries we, we don't have time to sort of dive deeply into those but the short version is 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 the way the batteries are are made instead of a liquid being in in the battery it's a solid and so you know, the, the long story short is, is you can potentially get two to three times the amount of energy out of basically the same size battery. So this is going to be the, the, the breakthrough. It's still, again, probably seven years away from, from now to when we'll start seeing these in cars at sort of a, uh, you know, a, a, a wide, wide level. Um, but, you know, the, the, the power of that is if you take a, a car that has, let's say, a 100 kilowatt hour battery pack that can go 350 miles in, in range and stuff, if you can reduce that down to a 40 or 50 kilowatt hour battery to still go 300, 350, whatever range, you know, you, and the cost of batteries are coming down anyway. You now made the decision around for a consumer, like game over, right? Like you, you've you've made the range affordable, the car affordable, right? Or if I want to go 600 miles, maybe there'll be EVs with 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 that type of range. So, getting that battery down is going to happen, uh, just incrementally, right? Like. Like the, they think about the Tesla Model S when it came out in 2010, I think it was like 275 miles of range. It's now 403, right? So, you know, and now that everybody's focused on it, right, that, that level of in, innovation and incremental improvement uh, is happening. So we tend to, on average, increase about 15 miles of range every year at some point that's going to slow down and then speed up right when the solid state comes up but but that's sort of the first huge thing um the second thing then that gets us is that price parity you know when people can walk as this the anecdote i've always used is is when the suburban housewife can walk into a ford dealer and there's a ford explorer and a comparable you know, SUV that's electric and it's basically the same price and has 300 miles of range, et cetera. Like, why would you go for the gas car, right? And so, you know, and again, we're, we're you know, five, seven years away from that. Interesting thing is, is there's a lot of new players and especially companies coming out of China. There's a company called Polestar, which is the performance brand of Volvo and Volvo is almost 50% owned by Geely, a Chinese company, but the Chinese companies are, are coming. So very likely, you know, all of us listening to this, uh, whether you know it or not, might be driving an EV that's actually made in China or much of it. Right. So that, that's sort of a big change, but, um, 
you know, and then charging, right? There was news that through a software update on Tesla, it increased the speed of being able, the rate that you can charge your EV, right? And so, you know, getting, getting that rate down to being able to charge an EV 200, 250 miles in like 15 minutes is, is big, right? And that's, and we're, we're almost there. So that, that's going to be sort of the big game changer that, that, that's happening. Cause that's one of the biggest complaints consumers, you know, are used to filling their car up in gas in five minutes and they hear these, you know, takes hours or whatever when it doesn't, if you use fast charging. But, um, I know that, that was a lot there. So I'll sort of pause there for a second. Yeah. yeah and that was great. Again, this is pure speculation on your part, but it's, yep. It's speculation backed by your knowledge and research. Seven years seems to be a big time period that you're mentioning in seven years. Seven to 10 years from now, if you had to speculate, in the United States, we'll forget Norway for now, we'll yep, forget yep. other countries. No disrespect, I think it's great. So what do you think? You mentioned 8% in California now, yep. but around the United States, do you think we'll be 10% on average or not? Is that too high in the next seven to 10 years? So no, we should, we should be in the, in the 20% range wow. by then. Um, I, I've actually, you know, adjusted my forecasts around that, um, down in, in the last year and I'm going to do so again, you know, partially because of COVID, but you know, Jeff, there are so many factors, you know, let's, let's say Biden is only a one-term president. Uh, so let's say some regulations come in that sort of force, you know, uh, and, and basically help drive uh, EV sales and adoptions and requirements of automakers. But then he, you know, doesn't, doesn't run yeah. in the next time that sort of reverses things, right? So there's yeah, those, those types of things, gas prices, you know, I've done regression analysis and a lot of people disagree with me on this, but um, gas prices have a high correlation with, with EV sales, right? So, you know, if gas prices go up to four or five dollars, you'll see a lot of people, you know, at least consider an electric vehicle. If it goes down to two dollars because all the, you know, oil companies have too much oil and they dump it, right? You might see a lot of people go, why should I switch, right? So there's just, you know, the economy, right? That'll impact things. So there's a lot of variables, but sure. the, the, the short version is that all of that aside, yes, hopefully we should be in the, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a range, 15 to, to, to 20, 20% or so. And that's, again, just to be clear, that's of 20 out of every 100 new vehicles purchased. The amount of EVs that are actually in existence, obviously, will only be a, like a couple of percent, right? Right. Where are we right now? At that sort of what's called the vehicle in operation, it's, it's under a half a percent. Uh, and in fact, I just did a forecast. I'm doing a whole special report on this, multiple scenarios. But my first pass is 2056 is, is when I forecast that we would be at 99% electric vehicles. I so think you I'm can gonna miss that one, Lauren. Yes, I, I will not be here as well. <laughs> now, there obviously are scenarios where we can get there more quickly, but at sort of a base scenario, yeah, wow. it's going to take decades to get rid of, you know, in the U.S., every gas car. If you can give me a yes or no, yep. do you think it's inevitable that we're going to get to that point at some point? Yes. It's inevitable. Okay. One more question I could ask you a hundred and you would have answers for all a hundred. And that question is, after we get out of COVID-19 and everything, 
We've got a lot of people who've lost their jobs. We've got people perhaps like you and certainly like me who are pursuing second careers. Yep. We have students who are trying to figure out now, what am I going to do with my life? All sorts of people who, for one reason or another, may be looking for an opportunity. If you could just think in terms of career opportunities, investment opportunities, job opportunities, entrepreneurial, where might you think there yeah. would be opportunities for these different cast of characters that I'm alluding to in the EV industry? Yeah, great question. And so I know you're old enough to remember uh, one of my all-time favorite movies, The Graduate, uh, and when the gentleman uh, gives um, the, the- Dustin the, Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman. If your listeners remember the movie, The, the Graduate, there's a famous scene in there around uh, uh, plastics as sort of the, the, the career of the future. And, and today I would say it's, it's batteries, right? I mean, it's batteries for battery storage, batteries for EVs, batteries is fundamentally the key. So obviously, you know, if, if you're like in college and you're a research centric, you know, engineer type, chemical, et cetera, that that would be the, the sort of the, the career path to go because everything's going to be about batteries for the future. The grid is going to be powered by, uh, by, by batteries and stuff. So that's obviously for the more technical type people in, in, in your audience. Uh, but, and obviously investment, that's where investment dollars should go. The second area um, is charging. As we mentioned, fundamentally um, charging is, is where we're seeing a lot of innovation and a lot of entrepreneurial activities going on right right now. There's a company here in San Francisco. It's one of my favorite charging companies called Volta. That's basically an advertising company. They provide free charging at like retail parking uh, parking lots and stuff using what's called digital out of home advertising. So they have a digital display. They sell ads. They're an advertising network, <laughs> and the the advertising basically supports the free the free charging. Wow. Um, so we're going to see, I think, a lot of interesting things like that. We're going to see you know companies build up um, services and food, food trucks, things like that around, you know, the, the sort of the charging centers. Um, so there's, I, I could go on, but there's a lot of different things in there. And one of the biggest ones is like with solar, you need to have people install the solar panels on, on the roof of a house or commercial. Um, you know, if, if every home in America goes to EVs over the next 30, 35 years or whatever it is, it's, it's nearly 200 million homes. It's like 150 million homes. So somebody has to install those. So that's going to be a massive opportunity for in installation. Excuse me, Lauren. They're installing chargers? Is a charging unit? What are they? Yeah, the, char the, the, the chargers, in, like in chargers. your garage and stuff like in that, door. right? Right. Yeah. Uh, instead of just sort of plugging in, which takes forever, you get these sort of what's called the level two. They're sort of, they, they run off 220 volt, right? And they, they charge faster. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people want to upgrade, but you have to upgrade your like panels sometimes and stuff like that. So that's a massive, massive opportunity. The, the final two, I would say, is, is policy, right? In fact, my, my youngest daughter is going in this direction. She's um, uh, uh, basically a sustainability major, but she's transferring to a new school, new college, and with a policy minor. And so, you know, all the different corporations, sustainability departments, governments and stuff have to figure out how to, uh, you know, spur 
uh, installation of charging units and just how you sort of manage that and regulations and things like how are we going to replace the gas tax, right? So there's a lot of opportunities in policy. And the final thing, which I know you would relate to and, and I do as well, is there's a lot of uh, people that always just say are more mature in their careers and decide to go into consulting. And I know several, several people that are doing this. Uh, I know like two people that worked at Tesla and sales, and now they've gone off and they've started a consulting business to consult with the automakers on how to sell EVs. I know another guy that's basically a multifamily charging consultant. So he consults with apartment owners on how to think about installing EV charging units. So that's kind of the final piece is sort of consulting. So there's, there's, you know, a, a lot of different opportunities, everything from that, you know, very brilliant, smart, technically minded, uh, you know, college student to go into creating the batteries of the future to us old geezers, you know, consulting with companies. I love that answer. You offered <laughs> a number of opportunities. I really appreciate it. Now I lied. I lied. Uh, 30 second question. Okay. You got right. 30 seconds on this one. You could talk for hours on it. So what about self-driving cars versus EVs? Is there, do they cross? Uh, Are they conflict they, to one another? Um, they, they definitely do. And there's, there's obviously a lot of mixed view on this. Um, you know, all autonomous vehicles at some point will, will be electric. It's just, it's just the, they're, they're sort of made for each, each other. So the question of, you know, is, is when autonomous vehicles and robo taxis running around rampant happens is of wide debate but the two go hand in hand. It's just, it's just because of the electronics uh, and the software and everything, it, that, that is in, inevitable. But yeah, we could talk for hours and debate about whether you know, robo-taxis will be running rampant any, anytime soon. And the views on that keep changing. It's not gonna hurt the electric vehicle industry. No, it will. In, in fact, they go hand in hand and Tesla's and Elon Musk is like married the two. Okay. Wonderful. This is such great information. I'm just fascinated by what you're saying. I really don't know a lot about this, and this has really enlightened me, and I know there could be so much more. Maybe we'll have you back. We'll do a second on this. How can our listeners reach you if they want to learn more about Laura McDonald, your blog entries, your website? I know you might have a book in the works or anything else that <laughs> yeah. you do electrical vehicles. How do they yeah, yeah. What about you? And yeah, probably the, the, the easiest thing, as, as you mentioned, one is just you can go visit my core website, evadoption.com, spelled just like it, it, it sounds. You can also uh, reach me via email at lauren, L-O-R-E-N, at evadoption.com. And you can follow me on, on Twitter. I actually, I have a couple of Twitter handles. I have my core at Lauren McDonald, but uh, I, I use that mostly kind of for other, other things. But my core EV one is called EV Adoption Tweet. And so you can follow, follow me there. Those are probably the, the three easiest things. And then as, as you mentioned, I'm on a, a book uh, fundamentally uh, around sort of all these factors that we've talked about today called Gas Station Zero. Stay tuned for that. I love the title. The other thing I didn't say as we're ending here, Lauren, is I love that acronym karma with a C. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> that was terrific. Well, listen, yep. thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure having you. And I delight in the information that you share with everybody. Right. Thanks. And I, I hope your, your listeners found it uh, a value as well. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward. Thank you.